Welcome to Combo's Court. Welcome to Combo's Court. Welcome to Combo's Court Podcast. <laughs> Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 274 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. If you'd like to support the show, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. That's right, Combo's Court Podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend about Combo's Court. Another great way to support is to join in as a Combos Court Patreon member. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Today's show, the Athletics NBA Draft Guru Sam Vecini joins in a fantastic conversation about the 2021 NBA Draft and more. You could find Sam's work at the Athletics. Sam is also the host of the Game Theory Podcast. Go subscribe to that. And you could find Sam on Twitter at Sam underscore Vecini. That's S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. You know you could find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Sam Vecini of The Athletic, host of the Game Theory Podcast. Welcome to Combos Court, man. How you feeling? Andrew, how you doing, man? We've been trying to make this happen, but I'm glad we're finally doing it. We are here. How's Australia treating you, man? It's beautiful. It is. Uh, it's a lovely country. I will say it's it's a little colder than what I'm used to. Okay. I've been living in LA for seven or eight years, and uh, I think that 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 Pittsburgh uh, coat that had covered my body throughout the first 25 years of my life, somewhere around you know year four in Los Angeles, I think that that went away, and I became soft again. You met, and you I met, became, you met, I became you met, the person that can't deal with the cold anymore. <laughs> Do you miss the LA life or not? Nah? I miss the LA weather. I don't miss, like, I, I enjoy living in Melbourne more than I live, enjoyed living in Los Angeles, I would say. And that's not like to talk LA or anything. I really enjoy LA, but uh, it's just fantastic over here in so many ways. Okay. Okay. Speaking of Australia, uh, do you feel the, you know, the alternative option there has lost some of its luster with the, you know, G League Ignite and now we're going to have OTE Elite? I mean, OTE? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I think that for high school kids, yes, it probably has lost a bit of its luster. Um, if you can stay in the United States and go pro as opposed to traveling halfway across the world and go pro you're probably going to be more inclined to do that, right? Like at the end of the day, that's just going to be more interesting to you. Um, especially given the price tags now, like we're at the point where you can do OTE or OTE instead of, yeah, the overtime elite program. Right. And like the Buleys, they're going to make seven figures uh, over the course of their time in that program. Um, G League Ignite certainly is a program that is willing to pay in order to be competitive with these programs. Uh, Early on, if you remember, they weren't all that competitive. They it was like 75,000, 125,000, and that's yeah. why they didn't get kids, right? That's just not a 
frankly, competitive number with what the other professional options are or what the college option is. Exactly. We're going to be like transparent about it. Yeah. Um, so the fact that the G League has upped its number, the fact that the OTE program has upped its number. Yeah, I think that high school kids are probably going to be less inclined to do that, but other opportunities exist for the NBL. They just got Usman Deng, who okay. is a potential uh, you know, first round pick in the 2022 NBA draft out of France. Uh, people might know him because he played on the same team with Victor Wenbenyema, who is one of the high level prospects that is coming up out of Europe. This seven foot two kid who can handle the ball and shoot and kind of do all sorts of different Um, interesting player, but I think that the NBL is kind of looking at different avenues right now and seeing what, uh, what comes up, like with Justinian Jessup, for instance, with the golden state warriors, they decided to, um, stash him overseas for a year. He was the next star with the Illawarra Hawks and had a great year over here. I think he's probably going to be pretty close to an all NBL selection. So, um, you know, there, there are different opportunities for different things as these other programs arise. Yeah, speaking of OTE, I mean, I've heard your, some of your thoughts on OTE. I would say I know a lot of those yeah. guys that over time and, you know, yeah. they do a great they, they like, you know, it's based in New York. Some of those guys are my friends. They've been on the podcast. I mean, they do a great job at what they do. My question is, and I know yours was who they're going to play against. My question is, how are they going to pull out, put out the full game content? Because they're like a short form content kind of company sure. like that's what they excel at that's my thoughts what are your thoughts on ote as a whole and how do you think it'll go i mean first and foremost i'm totally in favor of things like this yeah me uh, too more options the better uh, yeah the more options the better the yeah. more opportunities these kids have who know that they might not want to go to college like yes i yes. think that's reasonable at the end of the day if you know you that you're gonna go pro playing basketball if you're good enough to go pro playing in the NBA, NBA teams will find you. Maybe your level is Europe. NBA teams will find you over there too if you end up getting good enough in Europe, right? So I think that I'm totally in favor of it. My questions are, who do they play? Um, I, I just don't know. And then, you know, you bring up the idea of overtime being like a short form company. And like, I've heard from some people, like how do they make the economics of this work? right? Like, how are they able to pay the Buleys seven figures, right? How are they able to pay? I guess ju ju twins, just investors that just investors that believe in the long term, right? Right. I guess like, the, I guess the greater question is like, how do they break even long term, right? Like, okay. how, how yeah. did the business? Um, yes. yeah. how, does, how does the business work out? And I think a big part of that is overtime now relies on a model where they are not the people creating the actual content, they are going to the content creators and making their own content out of that, right? They go to events that are put on by other creators or other event organizers. They had one big, they, they, had, them. they had one big one in Brooklyn, but yeah, for have, the most part, for I the think most they part. Even have like a couple yeah. other ones. Yeah. Right, 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 um, right. So I think that what the idea here is that they're going to be able to license and sell out their content in a similar way to the NBA, right? Like the NBA licenses and sells out its content to ABC, to ESPN, to Turner, right? Right. Um, the overtime now is going to control the distribution hose in a way that they've never been able to control before. And I think that that 
mm. from an economic perspective is really interesting. I, I think that that gives them a real advantage potentially if they can get this thing off the ground. Now, the key is getting this thing off the ground in a way that makes it so that a streaming platform, for instance, like Facebook or a streaming platform like Netflix or Amazon, I think Amazon particularly is the one that stands out because Amazon has already explored some live event programming. Is Amazon gonna be willing to purchase game rights for OTE right now? I don't think they would be because I don't think that they have the infrastructure built out enough yet to where we have a knowledge of what that's going to look like. But if they get 60 kids or something like that and they can figure out who they're going to play and figure out that these games are going to be interesting and they're going to provide a crazy amount of viewership, then I think it's an incredibly lucrative opportunity for overtime. And I understand why the investors are, uh, as potentially excited as they are about it, because if you control the content firehose now, um, you really control distribution over a lot of it, and you can uh, make a crazy amount of money that way. Yeah, I guess there will also be a balancing act on how to please their demographic and please NBA decision makers. Yep, I think yep. that's that's true. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, pleasing their demographic, I don't think is going to be that hard because right. you're going to get those highlights. Yep. Yeah, you're going to get highlights and the NBA has shown, and I think the NBA needs to figure out how to monetize its um, highlight model a little bit better as well. Um, But overtime has shown that they've figured out how to monetize their highlight model in an extremely effective way. And I think that they will continue to go down that road. Like I'm not as worried about that. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about the developmental trajectory. We'll, we'll see. I, I just don't, I don't think we have proof of concept yet, you know? So yeah. until they have that proof of concept, we'll see, we'll see where it yeah. goes. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think they just have to get the right people there who are in the know to, uh, you know, around those kids so they could develop. All right. So, you know, moving on to the draft, we all have Cade Cunningham at number one. Uh, I don't, there's not too many people that don't, maybe, you know, some people that don't, I don't really people trying too hard. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, best landing spot for Cade is the better question. I know I hear OKC, but I really, I really like Houston. I like Christian Wood, KPJ, and Cade. Even though Christian Wood's timeline is a little bit off from those two, but what do you think about it? Well, Houston, Houston would just be building around Cade in a yeah. real way, right? Like. Yeah. No disrespect to KPJ, who I think is an incredibly high upside player with like genuine upside ceiling. Like they got him for a second round this year for a reason, right? And it's because not on the Kevin court. Needs, it's not. It's not on the court. Yeah. Yeah, it needs to become more reliable. Yeah. Maybe is yeah. the best way to yeah. phrase that, right? Um, Christian Wood is Christian Wood has two years left before he's a restricted or an unrestricted free agent. You know, he you're not building around that guy necessarily because you're probably not competing in year one with Cade Cunningham, right? Jay Sean Tate, KJ Martin, like I think those guys are pretty good, but you're building this thing around Cade in a real way that makes it fascinating from a roster building perspective, I think, because Cade is the kind of player that you can do anything around. You know what I mean? Like you Mm -hmm. can do whatever you want to do, however you want to build your team. You can do that with Cade Cunningham. So from that perspective, I'm, I'm kind of with you a little bit. Like that would be really interesting. I, part of me can't get past Toronto. Like okay. I, I would love to see him in Toronto because 
they already have such a long athletic infrastructure of guys like OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, you know, Gary Trent's a really good player. Fred Van Vliet's not long, but he's feisty as hell defensively. Like you put Cade Cunningham next to shooters in Van Vliet and uh, Gary Trent and even Ananobi's become a very effective shooter from a standstill and Pascal Siakam can at least knock down threes. I mean, that's a wide open court for him that is also going to be incredibly effective defensively because all of Van Vliet, Cade, OG Ananobi and Siakam are all really good defensively and all switchable defensively. Like that, that team, if they get him has a real shot to be very competitive, very, very quickly. I think that answer tells me, and I'm a big believer in Cade that you're a really big believer in Cade because you think he could help a team contend right now. Right. In the right circumstance. Like I think Toronto is closer to contending than what, Right, right. You know, many teams do. Like Houston will not contend next year. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um but if he goes to Toronto, who already has a guy that's made an all NBA team and Pascal Siakam, who is uh, another guy who's one of the ten best defenders in the NBA and OG Ananobi, another guy in Fred Van Vliet that got some all-star buzz this year. I don't know how realistic that was necessarily, but you know, right. a great pull-up shooter who is tough as nails and makes great decisions on the court. And I love the deal this summer for, or this uh, spring for Gary, uh, Gary Trent. I thought that was one of the smartest deals that any team did because that guy is going to be a long-term 40% three-point shooter who is reliable defensively. There's an infrastructure there already to contend if you get the guy. And I think Cade's the guy at the end of the day. Like, I think that guy's going to be, you know, maybe a lower end top 10 player. Uh, Maybe he can get to five, you know, top five in the league but you you get the guy in there i think that that is that is tailor-made to succeed relatively quickly moving toward moving towards two through five and i think the consensus five that everybody had mine is actually a little bit different i I got scotty barnes at five and uh i love it i love it yeah and uh kaminga's right there at six for me uh but you know who do you have two through five yeah so just released a big board today and it was got Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley and Jalen Green all kind of in their own tier, right? Yeah. If you want to order those guys any way you want to order them, I get it. You know what I mean? Like I totally understand it. I have Jalen Suggs a little bit ahead of Jalen Green because I think he's a more complete player. Uh, he's a much better passer. He's a much better defender. Uh, and I think that while he's not quite as good of a scoring prospect as what Jalen Green is I do think he has upside to be a 20 point per game guy while also bringing the passing in the defense whereas with Jalen Green Jalen Green might be a 25 point per game guy like he really might be that good of a scorer I think he has a chance to win a scoring title one day I just worry about what everything else looks like with Jalen Green how good is Mm -hmm. he going to be defensively what does the decision making look like as a passer And this is stuff that can be improved, but he hasn't shown it yet in the same way that like a Jalen Suggs has. I have Evan Mobley in the middle of those guys, because again, I tend to default more toward guys that as an evaluator process the game really quickly and are well-rounded players. Evan Mobley, I think has a chance to be one of the best two-way bigs in the NBA. If it works, Uh, he can actually shot create in a real way that separates him from someone like 
DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson, James Wiseman last year. Um, those guys weren't real shot creators. They were more play finishers, right? Mm-hmm. Jaron Jackson can knock down shots from three. The way the Jaren way Jackson's the way Jaron Jackson that play. Yeah, that's right. true. But the way Jaron Jackson could shoot on the move potentially is very interesting. That Evan Mobley might not have totally. Yeah, totally. And Jaron Jackson creates shots with his ability to shoot on the move in a different right, way right. than like those other guys do. Totally. Jaron also has less gravity as a vertical ball threat uh, in the air as a pick and yeah. roll guy. He's purely like a pick and pop guy. That's yeah. totally fine. Like Jaron Jackson, I think is a really good basketball player. Um, in the case of Evan, I mean, you can like play him dribble handoff, deny dribble handoff, drive left hand. He's ambidextrous as a ball handler um, and go and finish. You can kind of clear out the elbow and because he is such a good ball handler, he can just drive and extend past someone and try and finish that way. Um, he is going to have to get stronger. Like no questions about that. That is the number one concern with Evan Mobley right now. He needs to be up around 240 pounds by the time he's 25 years old. Right now at 19, he's probably about 215. If he gets that strength though, he has a chance to be like a shot creating, shooting, high level defensive prospect who's also very switchable defensively you're probably gonna play him in more of a drop or maybe more of a flat pick and roll coverage even but you can put two on the ball with him and he can recover back to protect the rim you can play him flat you can drop him as long as he gets a little bit stronger you're going to be able to drop him he's just so long and so rangy and his feet are so active and his hips are so fluid that you yeah. can kind of play whatever pick and roll coverage that you want to be able to play. And then on top of it, he's a really good weak side rim protector. So there's, it's just the well-rounded nature of his skill set will allow you to build the rest of your roster in such a fascinating way. And I think that that's kind of what differentiates him from those other center prospects who frankly, like, like I had DeAndre Ayton at number one, like that was a fuck up on my part. You know what I mean? Like I, I had him and D, him and Luca number one and like one B, right? And I really like Luca. I thought Luca was a very clear top two pick, but I had DeAndre at one. Um, you know, I had James Wiseman at two last year. Like I, I think that what we're learning is these centers who are non-shot creators, they're not replaceable in some respects, but the replacement level for them is higher, right? Mm-hmm. There are just more guys who can do their job than there are wings who can create shots or guards who can create shots and defend and do a lot of stuff. Evan Mobley is so well-rounded that he's actually not all that replaceable at the end of the day. Yeah. And then for four, I'm assuming you would have Jalen Green. Yeah. Jalen Green. That's right. And then Kaminga at five. It's interesting. I would actually have Green over Suggs because of the potential. I mean, the the ceiling, and from what he did, yeah. the, from what he did with the ignite, he just got better over time. Uh, while Kaminga, like he he kind of tailed off over time, and and that's a way higher level. I mean, look, you you yeah. can only play against who's in front of you for Jalen Suggs. It's not his fault, but well, he did pick he did pick Gonzaga, but you know what I mean. It's uh that level, no, totally. is, yeah. That, you know, it's, it's a way higher level. And I thought he played pretty well. And then with the upside, I would have green over Suggs, but. No, I think that's totally reasonable. I, uh, you mentioned with Jalen green that he got better as the year went on. I couldn't agree more. And that's honestly yeah. why, like he's even in the mix and like kind of in the ballpark for me. Um, 
in this respect because I was not like an enormous Jalen Green fan coming out of high school. I thought he was a volume scorer, didn't really help his teammates all that much. Like he played with Jaime Jaquez on the AAU circuit. And I was like, I don't, I, I didn't like Jaime Jaquez better as a prospect, but like I enjoyed watching Jaime Jaquez like reverse pivot and then like try and score and do the things that he did more than I enjoyed watching Jalen Green like dribble around the perimeter for 20 seconds and try and create a shot and then like not pass the ball. Is yeah, I think th- th- this experience must have been great for Green. Just in uh, all that. Practice, I think it was. Yeah. And all, all that practice time, even before the bubble, you know. Totally. Yeah, I think that's 100 percent right. Like, I, I think that Jalen Green uh, really improved his standing with me because he got so much better, so much more comfortable. The game slowed down like you could yes. genuinely see the way that the game slowed down for him over the course of, you know, uh, from a month, I guess, like imagine what it's going to look like in three months and four months uh, as he gets more used to the speed of that game. So I totally get having Jalen green at number two, even Uh, I can't know that, 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 that's exactly where I I would have reason. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly where I have another thing is Jalen Suggs is a great athlete, but some of the stuff that green does is like really high level elite, almost like, I, like Anthony Edwards, like it's just different level athleticism. Maybe he doesn't have the strength of an Anthony Edwards, but that kind of yep. like vertical pop, you know, it's just really high, high level. Not saying Jalen Suggs is a bad athlete, but. No, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that I agree with you on that. Like Jalen Green's not, he doesn't quite have the power and like the explosiveness right. to power combination that Anthony Edwards does. That's like a little bit different than just what we've seen from past guys. Right. Um what he does have those, he has like incredible pop off the ground. And because he has that pop, he does go through guys at the rim, but it's not like guys bounce off of him like they do Edwards, right? Like yeah, Edwards yeah, pops yeah. up, he's so strong and has like such good contact balance going through people. Yeah. Like it's it's just hard to deal with him, right? Um, Jalen Green doesn't quite have that, but he has so much pop that like, skinnier guys bounce off of them like it's not centers bounce off of them like yeah. it is anthony edwards but yeah um if you have a you have a four that's out there trying to rotate from the weak side i mean it's hard to corral him if he's yeah. going up to the basket yeah so let me ask you this why would you have kaminga over barnes yeah so i have scotty barnes at six so i'm we're very close yes, yes 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 um and i think that a lot of the time it's been discussed as a five-person draft i i do think it's more of a four plus like Kaminga and Barnes and then like a couple okay. other guys that I like in that next range. That makes sense. Um, I think Kaminga is closer to those guys than he is like that top tier. With Kaminga, it's just hard to find guys that are six foot seven with a seven foot wingspan who can create their own shot in the way that he can, as well as have defensive potential. Now, he was not very good defensively in the bubble, I didn't think. Um, yeah. I I was really frustrated, honestly, watching him a lot of the time, but you could see the flashes sometimes where he'd make like a really high level weak side rotation at the rim, or he'd make like a really high, um, high level read, like going to shoot a passing lane and using his length to get out there. What does worry me a little bit is 
he might be six foot six. Like he's listed at six foot six right now on the G League site. I want to see what he gets measured at the combine because wow, I like him most as a three four hybrid. And if he's six six, that's more like a longer Miles Bridges size. Yeah. Than like six eight, which is what he was listed at in high school, which is more that just sounds that just like sounds so different, right? <laughs> traditional four, right? Yeah, it just sounds different. Um, yeah. Yeah, I want to be able I want him to be able to take advantage of like quickness uh, of his quickness on the ground against fours as much as I want him to be able to like, you know, use his strength and like just motor to be able to get uh past smaller players right like I, I want him to be a mismatch nightmare and he's better mismatch nightmare at the four but it's harder to play the four if you're six foot six even with like a six eleven seven foot wingspan so i'm i want to i want to learn a little bit more about kaminga i will also say i think i personally even like this is on me as much as it is other you know grassroots evaluators i think we overestimated how much athletic pop he has um mm. I think he's a really good athlete. Don't get me wrong. Mm, so look at this. Like so, he, so Sam, so, so Barnes is actually underrated as an athlete from these, some of these tests we're seeing and Kaminga might be a little over. So yeah, yeah. Let, let, we'll talk about Scotty Barnes athleticism in a second. Cause I think his athleticism is like very weird in a different way. Okay. Um, Kaminga, like he's not Jalen Brown is an athlete, which is kind of what he was billed as. Right. Like Jalen Brown, yeah, like have that, that power and pop that's like just different, right? Uh, Kaminga doesn't really have that. So if he doesn't have that, he has to get by more on skill. And he only sort of has that right now. Mm-hmm. Like there's some, I mean, look, I don't want to overstate it. Like I think he's going to be better than this guy, but like there's some Jeff Green there where like, he doesn't get the most out of what you think are these incredible tools. It's 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 so early to say that, right? It is, yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 but yeah, like, yeah. um, and I think I think he's going to be better than that. Like at the end of the yeah. day, I have him at number five because I think he is going to be better than Jeff Green. But like, yeah. if it goes poorly, I okay. guess. Okay. Like, that's kind of why you know, like it just doesn't you know, go. Even, I mean, I would even say early Jeff Green's feel is. It might be better than Kaminga's feel, right? Just in terms of feel for the game. Yeah, he played at Georgetown. You could see some yeah. passing stuff there. Like, yeah. I mean, how much of that was just like Princeton offense and he got the assists that were just like easy first reads, right? Yeah. Whereas like Kaminga had to play a more wide open reactive style of basketball. So, so um, you, well, how do you feel about his feel? Because he shows flashes of it, of making the right pass at the right time. But what are your thoughts on, uh, yeah, on his feel? Yeah, I think it, I think his vision's really good. I think he tries okay. to overdo it sometimes. Um, you know, gets into the paint and goes in without a plan, right? Like drives without a plan and drives without like a secondary option oftentimes, right? Of knowing what he's going to do and then gets caught in the air and then like has to throw up a terrible shot or gets ripped like going up or something like that, right? He's a little bit indecisive despite that vision that he showcases at times, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's probably going to be fine as long as he tightens up the handle in that mm-hmm. regard. Like, I think that if he tightens up the handle and feels more confident playing patiently kind of on the ground, 
he'll be able to figure it out and it'll be fine, but he's going to have to tighten up the handle. Otherwise, I mean, there, there are going to be some worries. Yeah. Your thoughts on Barnes. I really like Scotty Barnes so much. So you brought up the athleticism. I think he has real pop, real quickness, um, real vertical athleticism. Mm-hmm. I think he doesn't get the most out of it on the court right now in the half court, in the run of play. The reason that he doesn't get as much out of it is that he's very stiff right now. Like you, he gets a deflection, right? Like he has these condor arms, right? Mm -hmm. And he gets a deflection and then he goes down to pick the ball up. And like, he looks like he's like 35 trying to bend down to pick the ball up, like almost in rec league sometimes. And that's, not normal for someone who's that twitchy and that athletic. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think he's not as flexible as what he needs to be. And I think he needs to, I guess work so, with a I, trainer on that. You know I what guess, I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I guess in a totally different way, because Scotty Barnes is a way better defender than this guy. Uh, Obi Toppin had some of that, right? Like vertical, a little ju- bit, yeah. like vertical jump was crazy, but you know, some of the stuff with flexibility was, you know, somewhat of an issue. A little bit of that. Yeah. I think that Scotty has better kind of lateral better movements hips to be able to slide. He has more lateral quickness than what yeah, de- Obi does. Defi- definitely. Definitely. 100%. Yeah. But a little bit of that. Yeah. Just in terms of like not getting the most out of it and where you see it, I think is like on offense, right? Like Scotty has real passing ability, like yes. very, very real passing ability. Great yes. vision. Sees over the top of defenders. Great feel. Um, can great feel can make every read. Yep. Right. Uh, very processes the game extremely well but he can't really get by anyone and i think it's because he's just like a little bit stiff in that same way that like harrison barnes was a little bit stiff coming out of north carolina sam some of your risers for the upcoming 2021 nba draft yeah it's an interesting question uh so much of it is just based on like me going back and like watching a lot more tape right because like in season I think it's often hard to watch like 15 games of a guy. Right. And then like have a great feel for how the totality of this person's body of work is at the end of the day. So like someone like Alperin Sengun, the Turkish kid who just won MVP of the Turkish league at 18. Right. I thought he was much less fluid and athletic when I watched him originally. I watched like a few games. I was like, Oh, this might not work. Like what's he's like a rim running, like pick and roll intelligent, like, you know, six foot eight center. This isn't, this isn't a thing. You know what I mean? Like that, that doesn't translate to the NBA level. Yeah. And then you go back and you watch him late in the year as teams started to like adjust to that. And Bashikta started bringing him away from the basket a little bit more. And he was just able to drive on guys. Like he was able to just like get past them and score. Right. He's able to, uh, you know, drive in a straight line. He was able to, uh, you know, actually set up with like a counter move, like one, only one, like we're not talking about like stringing together, like four moves, like James Booknight can. Right. He's, he's, he's not the traditional big you thought he might be. He's not. No. And yeah. then you look at the production and it's you know 17 yeah. points and nine rebounds and two assists or in the best in the best uh, domestic in the best domestic league abroad yeah well yeah. it's the second I mean, second it's, best second best to spain. that in spain yeah yeah, yeah second best like and you're just like kind of blown away by what he was able to 
do in that league. Like it's, I really think like the guy that I've been comparing him to is like Kevin Love. Like mm-hmm. Kevin Love goes to UCLA, incredibly productive, been productive throughout his entire life. Uh, also similar to Kevin Love, Sangoon is like a former fat kid. Um, is like <laughs> 270 pounds. Kevin Love, you know, coming out, you know, high school in UCLA was up around 265 or so. Um, you know, really trimmed down and got more out of his body, got more out of his explosiveness. And uh, I think he's a great rebounder in a similar way to Kevin Love. Like just a fascinating player in a number of ways that it's hard for me to get past the fact at this point that it just worked and it worked at like the third highest level or fourth highest level outside of Euro league that mm-hmm. it can work out like in the NBA. You know what I mean? It's like NBA G league, Euro league, then probably like Spain Euro cup, Turkey. Or yeah. Like and that. on top of that, right? sometimes, yeah. And on top of that, sometimes players uh, who play abroad thrive with the NBA spacing even more, you know? Yeah. And like, you would know this better than not. Like I'm talking to someone who played over there. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, what did, I mean, what did you think about just the way the game was played over there? I mean, how, Oh man, it was, you know, very choppy, you know, not as fluid. It was annoying because you couldn't even dribble in transition or they just foul you. So you have to pass it up all the time. It's just a totally different, the travel rules were different. I don't even know if that changed recently, but you would have to put the ball down first. It was just a lot of stuff you would have to adjust to. And you know, no cheap assists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, if if you're playing at home, they'll give you those. If you're playing away, they oh, won't. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's like, you know, it's like the wild, wild west. It's just crazy. But yeah, it, you know, the spacing is not as good and it's just, it's a different game. You know, it's not as wide open. Yeah. And in Sangoon's case, like, I wonder if he's actually going to be helped by that space offensively a little bit. Right. Because, right. yeah, look, like everyone obviously is helped by offensive space at the end of the day. That's not like breaking news, but some guys marginally get helped more by it. Like, guys who have that first step who can blow by in a straight line those driving lanes are a little bit wider in the nba those guys tend to be the guys that get it most i don't know like i kind of think he has that like pretty decent first step like it's not he's not like some like white dude like slow player right um you know whatever the you know stereotype of that shit is so i'm pretty interested he has great touch around the basket he's developing the three-point shot like and i've been kind of trying to navigate as well like where would kevin love coming out of ucla go now what would kevin love's career look like in the modern nba uh like say that he peaked now versus peaked in like 2010 um i I frankly don't know the answer to that or 2012 whenever kevin love peaked like i i don't know the answer to that to be honest i've been trying to figure it out because of how important defensive switchability is in terms of how um, important versatility is. Kevin's an incredibly smart, high feel, high processing, you know, player. Yeah. Is he more of a top 50 player in the league versus a top 25 player in the league? It's a, yeah. Maybe. It's yeah. Some, some guys would adjust, right? Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, he did, by the way, like he lost all the weight and got more athletic and figured out, Hey, I need to be able to do this to even have a chance defensively. Yeah. Uh, Not to, not to keep talking about Cade. We're going to get off Cade because I want to hear more about Chris Dorte in your opinion. But I think, you know, we talk about the spacing overseas. I mean, Cade had no spacing where he was playing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to benefit him greatly as well, you know? 
Yeah, I think that people are drastically overreacting to Cade's turnovers this year. Oh, MB- oh NBA, NBA Twitter went crazy when like during, you know, during March Madness. It was it was insane. Yeah. Yeah. He is a six foot eight guy and those big six foot eight creators often end up struggling with spacing as it is because college refs have no idea how to like actually officiate guys that are that good at basketball and that big and skilled. So he had that going against him. He had the lack of spacing going against them because I think Oklahoma state had zero guys that shot over 33% outside of him from three. Uh, Every time he drove, there's three guys collapsing on him. Like (laughs) it's hard. It's really hard. You can't do anything offensively that way. We didn't see enough of his passing this year. Uh, His passing is really high level. Yeah, no, for sure. The NBA space is going to help him tremendously. And some of those other guys in the top five too, like Green and Suggs, it it could help them as well. Uh, So Chris Duarte, you're not concerned about his age, I see. You're not concerned. I mean, look, like, do I think he has less upside than someone like um, Keon Johnson? Yeah. Like if Keon shoots, it's going to be curtains on some level, right? Like he's going to be a starter mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's going to be really effective if he can get to a 38% three point shot. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we have to determine like, what is the likelihood of that happening? Right. Uh, Keon's not really been a shooter at any level and he is pretty far away mechanically. Like his base is very skinny. He has a hitch at the top. Like his touch has not been amazing at any level. So, yeah, you can improve shooting at the NBA level because development coaches are exceptionally good and you can just rep through jump shots more often than you can rep through other things skill-wise. But, I mean, Chris Duarte is already a 40% three-point shooter who is an all-conference defender who can handle the ball He's a reasonable passer. He sees the passes. I think he's inaccurate as a passer right now, which gets a little frustrating, but he sees the passes that are there. I think as he continues to improve, accuracy on passes is something that can be improved. Like that's a skill. Being able to see the passes, he has that. Yeah. Being able to shoot at 40%, like he has that. He's six foot six, so he's going to be able to guard one through three. This is, it's just what the NBA is looking for. Like it, it's it's hard for me to get past NBA scouts and coaches, you know, constantly like telling me like, yeah, we need guys who can shoot and defend. We need guys who can shoot plus, and defend. Plus, plus shooting, plus defense, plus defense. You always need it. This guy does both and he's ready to step in immediately. We saw like Sadiq Bey got hit last year with like, oh, not as athletic, already 21 years old. Yeah. Sadiq Bey was awesome this year. He's going to be a 10 year NBA player and probably start for eight of those years. Like, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. I, I get, I get that the age is a thing, but if you're good enough to step in from day one, the age isn't really a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted to hear your thoughts on this player. And I wanted to hear how you think he would, uh, his game will translate to the NBA level. Sharif Cooper, um, obviously oh he gets to where he wants to go on the court. Maybe the draft's best passer, Size and shooting are the concern. How do you think his game will translate to the NBA level? Best ball handler off of a live dribble. Best passer off of a live dribble. Can whip that thing around one-handed with both hands. 
any angle, whatever he can, he can open the angle in the college game. He's an exceptional passer. Can't shoot right now. Um, the shooting numbers are non-disastrous. If you go back to high school, like they're not what they were this year. He developed kind of a lean backward this year. Mm-hmm. I would venture. I don't know this. Like I have not talked to Sharif about this. I would venture that it was to be able to get the shot off a little bit easier because he's six foot tall. And I mm-hmm. think it kind of the rhythm of his shot, but having said that, like he shoots kind of a hard ball like that, that thing comes off the rim and like, it's, it's going, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so that worries me not going to be able to finish. Like he has a decent floater game, but like just not gonna be able to get to the rim and finish. So you're a non-shooter right now and kind of a non-finisher right now. Your best weapon is your floater game offensively outside of the passing, but you have to be able to score in order to be able to bend defenses in the way that you want to bend defenses. Defensively, I think he has no chance. Like he is atrocious on that end. He doesn't sound, doesn't sound optimistic, Sam. I'm optimistic because again, he's the best live dribble passer and live dribble ball handler in the draft. Yes. Yes. But he might be Ish Smith and Ish Smith has had a great 10 year NBA career. And Ish Smith like is probably worth taking 25, 26, something like that. If you know, you're getting four years of a good player like that. Sharif is a little more fluid, but I, I see what you're going with it. Right. A little more. Yeah. Like he's better. He's more talented than Ish. Smith. Yeah. He yes, might not yes. Be better than Ish Smith. But like he's more talented in terms of like being innate, able to control vision, the ball. Vision. Yeah. Yeah. Being able yeah. to control the ball, do whatever he wants with it. Like all that stuff is unbelievable. But if you can't defend, like he's, he is a, and it's not just that he can't defend like Corey Kispert is going to struggle defensively, but Corey Kispert's six foot seven, 225 pounds. And like strong enough to where I don't know that teams are going to consistently target him, right? They'll target him some, but I don't think that like he's going to get the, oh my God, we have to have our guy, the guy that Kispert is guarding, go up and set the ball screen every time so that we can get Luca on a one-on-one on an island with Kispert, right? Sharif, that's what's going to happen. Sharif is going to get magneted onto these big wings every single time that he's on the court in big moments. And that's concerning like that. That's just the way the NBA works now. Like it's just really, really hard for these small skinny guys to make it work. um, Unless you're the standout of all standouts in terms of offensive ability, like Trey young is right. And he's not Trey. Like he's sort of Trey as a passer and ball handler. Like he's one of the few people on earth that I think can like hold a candle to Trey in that regard. But Trey has the threat of the jump shot and maybe the most lethal floater in the NBA. He can score 25 points a night, 28 points a night, if I remember correctly in his second year, Sharif can't really do that. He can't really bend the defense like that. So I'm, I'm, hopeful that he can improve as a shooter and become that kind of player but i'm i'm worried about it too like i'm i'm worried about what it looks like if he can't shoot yeah 
I mean, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, the shooting and the size are a real issue, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Where do you think he'll get drafted? Like, what's his draft range, would you say? So, yeah, I was just talking about this on my podcast um, that I recorded before we were doing this. Like, there's a big group from eight or nine on down to, I feel like, 30, 35. They're all kind of in the mix, right? Like, if you told me Sharif Cooper goes 12, I'd be like, okay, sure. You told me he goes 25. I'd be like, yeah, sure. I get that. So I'd say anywhere like in that range, I don't think he falls out of the first, but I can't remember a prospect that had such clear elite level. Like he's not just a good ball handler. He is an elite level ball handler by NBA standards, even and an elite level live dribble passer by NBA standards. Yes. Yes. He is also going to enter the NBA as maybe the worst defender in the NBA or the most harmful defender in the NBA and a non-shooter right now. I can't remember a player who has entered the league with such dizzying strengths and such potentially crippling weaknesses to his game. He's one of the hardest evaluations I've had in a long time. They said Poku was a hard uh... – was a hard guy to evaluate. Poku was hard too. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Poku was very hard because you don't know the way the frame is going to go. Yeah, um, and, and now, now, I, now, I mean, I was optimistic then. Now I'm very optimistic after watching this season. I'm very optimistic still, but like, there's still a floor. Like the floor is still that. <laughs> like he does not help teams win. Unfortunately, it's it's a fun experience nonetheless. It's a fun experience. It's great. I love him. Yeah. I would honestly, if we were redrafting, I would take Poku at like three or four. Okay. Right now. Okay. Um, but it's just because of the upside. Like he's one of the few guys in that class that can be like a genuine needle mover, not just like, okay, yeah, great. Like Sadiq Bay is a starter. This is awesome. He's so like he's gonna average 15 points a night and make a hundred million dollars in his career. Like that's a great career. But Sadiq Bay probably is not going to like add five wins to your team right like poku has a chance to like average like to add 10 wins to your team if it goes right at this point right it was a good start for him just from all the reps he got yeah it was was fantastic so yeah yeah i i'm excited to see what poku becomes i don't know what poku's gonna become but i'm excited by the trajectory i mean when you see a guy who averaged what he did in europe like, what were your thoughts? Well, it wasn't it, it, the league. The league he was playing in it was uh, it wasn't a high level league, so it was very hard to yeah. you know. To it was judge like what third was going division on. Greece, wasn't it? Uh, it wasn't. I don't think it was Greece. I think you know what? I think it was a high level Euroleague team, but it was their second tier team. You know, like their you'd almost like yeah. I, th- I think he was with Olympiacos. That's I, right. I don't think that's right. You Euro are right. League. Like he was. You're he was right. Playing was Greece. Yeah. And it, I swear to God, like, it looked like the dudes he was playing next to, like, and maybe not on Olympiacos, but, like, the guys he's playing against, looked like they were, like, coming out, like, after half a pack at halftime, <laughs> like, smoking and, like, yeah, like, not profe- like, semi-professional basketball players, not, like, super professional basketball players. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was so interesting. It kind of happened with Giannis back in the day. We got this, like, grainy video right. of Giannis, you know. <laughs> 
But you know, you did see the potential because he was like a seven foot dude handling the basketball, shooting it with fluidity, yeah. but you really didn't know what to make of it because it was, yeah, it was just interesting tape. Uh, two more guys I want to talk about before we get out of here. And one of them is a James Book Knight. I think he could be a real, I think he has yeah. a real chance to be an NBA scorer, um, scores well in transition. I think just how good of a shooter he'll become, that's what really it's dependent on, right? Of what kind of player he'll be in the NBA. Yeah, one of the best ISO scorers. I think in yeah. the draft. Um, he's from New- guys he's from, that- I'm from New York City. He's from New York City. That's what we do, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, with like one of the best ISO scorers in the draft to the point where I think like a lot of isolation scoring, like we talk about it and like, I don't mean to like on Sadiq Bay. I keep bringing up Sadiq Bay. Like Sadiq is not like an ISO scorer. You don't, that, you don't, like, you don't, you don't need to be to have like a 15 year NBA career. I mean, the, you know, totally. If, if you defend and you shoot, you don't need it, you know, in a way. So it's, totally. it's just a plus. Yep. Yeah. And someone like James book, but like the T- Detroit Pistons aren't going to have Sadiq Bay go out and be like, Hey, you got to go get us 20 shots tonight. You got to go and create your own shot. I'll once tell, they're good, I'll, at least. I'll tell you this, Sam, you have a lot better chance of making the NBA. If you're a Sadiq Bay player type than a James book totally. player type. There's a there's a lot higher right. chance you end up overseas as a James Book Knight overtime, and he won't end up overseas in my opinion. I'm just saying right. that type of player. Right. In the case of Book Knight, he's so good and so shifty and so talented at creating separation. I mean, that dude can string together like in and out, right to left crossover, left to right between the legs into a thir- second in and out, and the guy that's defending him is just like, oh, like what do I do now? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, there are very few guys that can string together that number of moves that quickly against high-level defenses and create their shot that way and get them off balance. I think he's one of the few guys that actually can do that. Um, you look at the jumper. You look at the jumper before he had the elbow injury this year numbers weren't bad after he got back from the elbow industry numbers were worse or injury um didn't see like i don't want to say he was out of shape but like that month off might have like knocked him slightly out of game shape yeah. you know what i mean yeah yeah and didn't quite look to have the same level of pop to me like that same um cuz he's he's more of a decelerator than an accelerator Right. right, which is so like, which is so important at the NBA level. Right. Like, anywhere you play basketball, yeah. Like Luca, Harden, Kyrie, all elite decelerating. Right. Yeah. So when he lost just that little bit, like say he was even at 90% of game shape versus 100% of game shape, like I think he was early in the season. I think he lost just that little bit of first step after the deceleration, and it was just a little bit easier to stay in front of him, which is why I think that the numbers got a little bit worse because the shot selection at times, I mean, it's just like indefensible, right? right. Um, it's, it's defensible because Connecticut needed him to do yeah, it. It's, it. Yeah. It was the role he but, was in. I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's, it's not like some, like if he takes some of the shots he took at Connecticut in the NBA, like he's getting yanked immediately. Not happening um, rookie season. No, that's yeah. Not happening. happening rookie season. Yeah. But I say all of this to say like, I think that the shot selection got harder later in the season. And I think that because of that, he was taking tougher shots and the number dropped because of that. Also, like, just frankly, it's probably hard 
to shoot coming back from like an, a broken elbow on your like guide hand. Right. Yeah. 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 So I think the shooting is going to be a little bit better than what people think. I have him as a top 10 guy personally. Um, I think he's going to be a high level starting caliber wing in the NBA who can create his own shot. I don't know that he's going to be like an all-star caliber guy, but I do think he can be like a secondary creator who can go get his own shot at a high level. He needs to pass better. He needs to create better for teammates. Yeah. I think he needs to engage himself a little bit better defensively too. When he was engaged, he was really good. I thought on defense, but yeah, he has the the tools to be a good defender. Yeah. Needs to increase that a little bit. And I I think he knows that. Like, I think that like, you know, you're asked to create 20 shots a game on your own in Connecticut. It's hard. Right. Yeah. So is he, doesn't have to do that as much i think the defense is going to improve yeah and if the shooting improves especially off the live dribble you like his game as iso player already that even brings it to a different level when your defense has to get closer and close to you you know what i mean elite finisher too yeah yeah exactly yeah he's he's tough on an island as they would say all right so let so fill me (laughs) in on this um last thing before we get out of here the amani bates dialogue he's still a future number one pick right god i don't know i mean like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've seen every kid, you know, in, in the, in the world at this point, that is going to be a part of the 2023 NBA draft. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, projecting as a top five pick going forward. Imani, like he, he looks like what a top five pick looks like. Right. Yes. So okay. what, what, what is, yeah. Where the dialogue, what do you want to talk about with the dialogue? <laughs> it's complicated. No, because- it's hard. No, it's because I feel like he was at one point. Everybody had no question that he was going to be the number one pick, and then maybe like one or two bad games, and now he's people are questioning it. I, I did. I, I had questions from the jump. Um, okay. Not to say that I'm, you know, smarter than other people. I'm certainly not. Um, but I saw him at Nike basketball. Hey, well, well, first of all, is that is that fair? What I just said was that a fair? Oh, no, totally. Like yeah, Jeff yeah, okay. Goodman was calling him like the next Kevin Durant. Like, okay, the there we go. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and I love Jeff. I'm not taking shots. Jeff's uh, been on Jeff's, the show. Great guy. Yep. Yeah. Jeff's like a friend of mine. Okay. Um, like people calling him the next Kevin Durant, like that level score, that level elite player. I never saw that because I saw him at like the 2019 Nike, uh, Nike Sports Academy, the one that's out in LA um, every year that they do where like college kids are there and then uh, high school kids are also there playing. Imani has been measured at six foot nine with a six foot nine wingspan. And he's a pure perimeter player right now. Like gets to the basket in transition. Doesn't really get there in the half court that often. Always gets to the step back elite level step back shooter, elite level shot creator for himself at that age, getting to that step back, which is arguably the most important shot in the NBA right now for a guy who's going to be an on-ball creator. Mm -hmm. But you need to be able to get to the basket and finish on some level. And he's very skinny. He has a very skinny frame. He's six foot nine with a six foot nine wingspan. Kevin Durant is six foot 10 with a seven foot five wingspan has the exceptionally high release point. So he can just shoot over the top of everyone. Imani Bates could shoot over the top of everyone when he was young 
because he's six foot nine and nobody who is that young and that developed can really contest someone who's six foot nine like that, right? Is Imani, what my worries were was that he was so far ahead of everyone in terms of skill and then didn't have the frame to grow into that other guys do. And he's skinny and he'll get stronger and he'll get bigger and more capable of absorbing contact and playing through it. And again, because he's starting from such a high place, I think he probably is going to be like a top 50 player in the NBA who makes nine figures and is unbelievable, right? Mm-hmm. And he has a chance to be a top 10 player in the NBA if he just becomes the absolute best like pull-up shooter in the world, which frankly is like not out of the realm of possibility for him because he's coming from such a high level at it already in the way that he can string together a couple of moves, get to the left foot, sidestep, step back, string yeah. together a couple of moves, go to the right and hit a pull-up shot. Yeah. Like that, there are so few guys that you can say at some point in their career, they might be the best pull-up shooter in the NBA. Imani Bates, like he's one of the few guys that you can say that about, but if he's not that, I think that the hill drops precipitously the further he gets from that level. If he's not adding passing ability, if he's not adding defensive ability, because we just haven't seen him do that yet. Cause he hasn't been asked to do that yet. Like, let's be honest. Like he's, playing for his dad at Ipsy Prep and playing for his dad with the AAU team up until recently. And I'm not sitting here saying that like the dad has provided no accountability, right? But it's, it's Imani's show, right? And that's great. Like it's totally normal for a kid like this to have things centered around him because he's so good. And frankly, like given how treacherous and, um, you know, vulture the AAU scene can be keeping him away from like the craziness and sheltering him a little bit, probably the right call at the end of the day. Yeah. But it's complicated when it comes to developing his game. And I think the best thing that he possibly could have done was go to play for a team. He's playing for team final, right? Mm -hmm. I still haven't watched any of their games that he's played with like Jalen Duran and those guys. Like I, I just haven't had time to in the middle of free draft stuff, but for his development, I think it was the best possible thing that he could have done. Get around really high-level guys, see what that's like. See what it's like when you have teammates that are close to as good, if not better than you, frankly, in the case of Jalen Duran right now as a basketball player. Like, purely at this stage, Jalen Duran is a great basketball player and provides it on both ends of the court. Being around that, I think, is only going to help Imani develop so I think he's still absolutely a top five. Like he's tracking as a top five pick and he's tracking um, as a potential number one overall pick. Anytime you're top five, you have a shot to rise up in the number one level. But I never really, like I've, I've been saying for two years now that I thought Cade Cunningham was a better prospect mm-hmm. than Imani Bates. And kind of got yelled at a little bit for that. And now I think that, it, it'd be more 50-50 in terms of what you'd hear on that now. Yeah. 
Sam. I mean, where are you at on the whole thing? I'd be fascinated to hear that. I think I think really highly of him. And there is some truth to that, you know, maybe the strength thing. I think that's the biggest issue with him. I just think he needs yeah. to get a little bit stronger because some people just they develop differently in terms of strength with different ages. And then sometimes you see a little dip in performance because of that. Then you figure it out and you get to the next level. I would like, you know what? I would like to see him get to play against like NBA guys in the summer. So he could feel how that yeah. is. I think that would be great for him. You know, whatever, if it's Chris Brickley's running New York city or Rico Hines in LA, I would really like to see him in yeah. that and watch him play in that. And I think he would learn a lot from that. That would be great for him. And that's what happened, I think, with, you know, in the G League Ignite with uh, Kaminga and Green and Knicks and Todd. And they got to see that, you know, and I think it's going to help totally. them tremendously. No, I agree with you totally. Uh, I, I would love to see him get a chance in those environments. Like, honestly, I would love to see him go to, like, the G League Ignite program. Yes. I'd love to see him, I think, like, yeah. come over here to Australia if you don't want to quite go Ignite. Like, you know, these dudes over here are strong and they will – toss you around like if you watch an nbl game these games are not officiated uh with the same level of contact uh contact avoidance maybe so yeah so that i mean i, I that, think that'd be the best thing for him something like that i totally agree with you yeah yeah and i guess that that benefited Lamelo, right getting some good refing in the nba that spacing definitely <laughs> it definitely helped him out sam we, we can talk we could talk basketball for hours. Thank you so much for taking the yeah. time. Sam Vicini of The Athletic. Where can we find you on Instagram? I said on Instagram. Where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? <laughs> ah, I'm on Instagram at Vicini. But okay. for, for the most part, it's baking things and photos of my dog and like yeah. movie stuff. I'm a, I'm a bigger um, Instagram guy than Twitter guy. But, you know, I've been working on my Twitter, you know. <laughs> yeah, on Twitter, uh, Sam underscore Vicini is going to be your best spot. So. Yeah, and uh, and go sub- on. Oh, anytime. Yeah, anytime. And um, make sure everybody go subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast. Great podcast. You and Matt are great on that, man. That's a, that's a great pod. Isn't Penny just the best? Just the yeah. best dude. Yeah, I mean, he, he's very knowledgeable. He knows like all the way from the, everybody playing in high school. You know, this is this is what happens when you organize events uh, in the AAU scene for like ten years now. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, thanks so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for listening to the show in its entirety. Really appreciate you all. Thank you to everyone who listens to Combo's Court across the globe. And thanks to Sam Vicini of The Athletic for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. That's right. Rate, review, subscribe. It's really important. A great way to support this podcast is to join in as a Combo's Court Patreon member. I'll leave a link in the description for that. If you listened to this episode, if you enjoyed this episode, share this episode, man. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 275. Combo out.